0: Thank you, Pastor Mark. That uh, prayer supplication. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter ten, and uh, you can go ahead and hold your place there. I would also ask if you'd like to turn to Ezekiel in the Old Testament. We've already read responsively from a portion of that uh, book in chapter thirty-four. So you'll look to John chapter ten, which is the primary text we'll focus on this morning, but also we'll be making reference to Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 34 in the Old Testament as well you know as I was contemplating this message in in actuality thought I had finished the series last Sunday but God had different ideas and um, and so as I was contemplating about this I, I felt the Lord just kind of pressing it upon my heart to make this like an epilogue you know, uh, the dictionary says an epilogue is a concluding section that rounds out the design of a literary work. And I don't say my sermons are literary works, and but but I do feel that there was something left to be said. Uh, even having preached through that series that I entitled Real Biblical Christianity, and, and hopefully having helped you to understand that, you know, that, that God is speaking to us through his word. And, and I'm trusting that God was speaking to you through those, that series of messages. In first of all, understanding and, and knowing and sharing what I said would, would be the authentic biblical gospel. And so we, we looked at that, the authentic biblical gospel. But then I trust that God spoke to your hearts about what a biblical Christian looks like. And you held that up against what you are and who you are as you examined yourself as a child of God. And and so I hope that was a meaningful time for you. And then also knowing what it means to be an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And so as, you walk, as we walk through those messages together, we, we examine what the Lord said about the commitments of a disciple, the, the disciplines of a disciple. So, so I trust that through that series of messages, we were able to weed out some of the, the false notions that the culture has, has infiltrated into Christianity today and into the church about what the gospel is and, and who Christians are and what it means to be a Christian Because it's important that we go back to the source, the Word of God, and understand what God says and what God's standards are and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as I came to the conclusion of that series of messages and and realizing some of them were pretty heavy. As I said, it's not the kind of message that you always you know, wake up exu- you know, exuberant and excited about, oh, going and preaching about you know, the disciplines of discipleship you know, and the rigors of the Christian life. But having, having walked you through those more serious aspects of, of, of the Christian life, I felt the Lord leading me to preach this message that I consider to be a, a celebratory epilogue. Because the title of the message is Real Christianity, The Disciples' Blessings. Don't miss out on the blessings that come with our commitment to follow Christ. And so I I trust that for all of us who have felt indeed led by the Lord and committed to, as Christ says, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow the Lord daily. I trust that this message will be a blessing to you. And certainly... There are many wonderful blessings awaiting those who make the commitment to follow Christ. The few who enter by the narrow gate, who choose to live according to the difficult way. And those are the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. It's not an easy life. It's not an easy way. And as I pointed out before, Jesus says the way to God, the way to heaven, the way to salvation is a narrow gate. And getting there is hard. But the rewards are, well, no pun intended, heavenly. The blessings of the Christian life are not just waiting on us in heaven. There are many wonderful blessings that come Right now, for those who make that commitment to be among the few who follow Christ seriously, biblically, and enjoy these blessings. So, first of all, we're going to be looking at what I call the comfort. The comfort of belonging. One of the best blessings that comes out of making the commitment to be a true follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, is to know that you belong. To know that you belong. Now, to understand and to appreciate the context of chapter 10 of John's gospel where Jesus is confronting the Jewish leaders of his day, I want to take you back to to Ezekiel 34. I'm not going to reread the part that that, uh, Tim read earlier uh, in, in Ezekiel 34. I will make reference to it. But I want you to understand, this is what God said hundreds of years ago to the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, And it's very pointed. God is confronting an, an evil order of religious leaders who have abandoned their call to lead the people of God. Listen to the words. God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to shepherds, woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughtered the fatlands, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they, are, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. You see the imagery, the rich imagery of the shepherd and the sheep and that pastoral kind of a setting. It makes me think about the 23rd Psalm when David says, The Lord is my shepherd. And so God is accusing Those leaders who were entrusted to shepherd his people of abandoning the great call that God had entrusted to them. Pick up in verse uh, verse 6. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. And to go back and look at the next portion of, of beginning in verse eleven, and I'm not going to reread that. But when Tim was reading just prior to the confession, the prayer of confession, that portion beginning in verse eleven and, and going down to verse sixteen, God turns the table. He says to the leaders who were supposed to be the shepherds, "You have failed miserably. You have abandoned the call. You have you have." You have not helped, you have hindered and hurt the very ones, my people, my sheep. And all through those next verses, 11 through 16, God says, Step aside. I'm stepping in. I'm taking over. I will shepherd my people. I will feed my people. I will protect my people. I will guard my people. I will care for my people. I will retrieve my people who have strayed away. I will save those who are lost. I will bring back into the folds those that have wandered on the hillsides. God says, I will shepherd my people. Understand the significance prophetically of what Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel is saying on behalf of God to the people and the leaders. Number one, he's saying to the leaders, you've blown it. Step aside. I have a better plan for leading and reaching my people. And to the people, to the sheep, the good shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. He's saying don't lose heart. There's coming a shepherd. There is coming a leader. There's coming one who will love you more than you can ever imagine. There's coming one who will be faithful and who will be true. And you will know him as a good shepherd. Now we fast forward some 600 years to the life and ministry of Christ. Going back in chapter 8 in John's Gospel and 9 and all the way up to chapter 10 where we find ourselves. Jesus has in essence been locking horns. With the religious Jewish leaders of his day. And we'll see some of that. Because they've elevated themselves as pious, self-righteous legalists. Who are exerting unreasonable constraints upon the people. Legal requirements that go far beyond what God had stipulated. And they're taking advantage of the very people that they should be ministering to. And helping and guiding. And Jesus is confronting them in a big way. He doesn't do it passively. He doesn't do it indirectly. He pretty much is picking up where Ezekiel left off. And I like that. These people that think Jesus is some kind of a spiritual wimp ought to go back and read through his gospel ministry and the times that Jesus stood like no one has ever stood in the face of adversity and sin. So let's let's pick up now in verse... In chapter 10 of John's gospel in verse 1. And listen to the similarities of the accusations. As Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Let me just stop there because Jesus is using the metaphor of, of shepherding and, and, and sheep-tending. And in that day, it was very common in a lot of these small villages, they would have a, a, a gated area that had one gate. It was fenced in or stone walls, and it had one gate, one entry. Shepherds at the end of the day would typically bring, unless they were far off, would typically bring their sheep into the village. And they would enter their sheep into that sheepfold. There would be a doorkeeper, a trusted hireling who would watch over those sheep while the shepherd would get rest. But you understand, as the shepherd was bringing his sheep into the, in the sheepfold, he's looking at each one. He's examining. It. There's, a, there's a caring relationship. There's a responsible relationship that the shepherd has with the sheep. And, and only the shepherd can check his sheep out. The doorkeeper is not going to let anybody else come and retrieve those sheep in the morning. You have to be the true shepherd. But notice Jesus says there are some who try to enter into the sheepfold. He's talking about the Jewish leaders. You're wanting to be leaders of God's people. You're wanting to be the ones that that take care of the people of God. And you're not the qualified ones. You're not the ones that God has chosen. You're climbing over the wall. You're breaking in to get to God's people, His sheep. You're nothing more than a legal hireling, if you will. But look at verse 2. Jesus says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him and they know his voice. I think about growing up on the farm. We all had livestock. We had cows to milk for milk and hogs to feed so that we could eat them and chickens for eggs. I mean, and, and you know, I noticed something about my granddad Coleman. He lived just a half a mile up the road and I was up there a lot. And he had several cows and some horses. And you know, he would stand there at the edge of the fence and he would just call. He'd just call. He had a certain unique call that he would just call. Those cows could be way over the other side of the hill down in the bottom down by the creek. And they would hear him call, hear his voice, and they, for, before you know it, over to the here they come, you know, Star, Twinkle, Bess, we had them all named, and then the uh, horses too. So one day, you know, I got clever. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to beat Granddaddy down to the fence, and I'm going to imitate him calling. And I called, and I called, and I got a horse calling, no pun intended, no cows, no horses, no anything. And my granddad sooner or later came on down, he kind of chuckled. And I said, Granddad, I don't understand. I'm using the same words you use. It's about the same time that, you know, in Nario One is bothered to show up. And he said something very, I thought, wise at that point. He says, It's not the words, Charlie, it's the voice. They don't recognize your voice. They recognize my voice no matter where they are. They know that I'm going to feed them. They know that I'm going to take care of them and they're glad to come. And I thought about what the Lord is talking about how he said in verse 4. My sheep, they follow me. They know my voice. They're not going to follow some stranger. Look at verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration. But they, speaking of the Jewish leaders, did not understand the things which he spoke to them. As we go to verse 4, Jesus shifts the metaphor. Remember before, in the previous verses, he's the shepherd. Now Jesus becomes the door. Imagine a shepherd way away from the village and out on the fields, and he's got his sheep, and there are wolves, and there are bears, and sheep thieves, and, and it's getting nighttime, and he finds a cove where he can get his sheep, or a cave, if you will, but some enclosed place where he can huddle his sheep together. And, and, and Jesus is, is giving us that imagery of himself. In verse 7 he says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Jesus again, speaking of false leaders of the Jewish people, Old Testament and New. Now granted, he's not talking about the the, the true prophets. He's not talking about the, the, the godly patriarchs. He's talking about those who who were false leaders who abandoned the responsibility of leading the people of God. He said they were thieves and robbers and still are. Jesus goes on in verse 9 to say, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. And that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Does that make you think about Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16? God says, I am the good shepherd of my people. I am the one. Nobody can shepherd my people like I can. Nobody loves my people like I do. And Jesus makes a prophetic, fulfilling declaration about himself in verse 11 when he says, I am that good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Verse 12, but he who is a harland and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leads the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Jesus again reiterates in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's stop there for a second. Because one of the great benefits of being A true follower of Jesus Christ. One of the great blessings is just the wonderful comfort of knowing that we belong. Knowing that we belong. What an honor it is to be a part of the people of God. I like that old Gaither uh, jingle song or chorus or whatever. I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. Oh, hallelujah. I love the notion of being those of us who are chosen and drawn and saved by God you may recall back in John chapter 6 when Jesus said in verse 37 he says all that the father gives me will come to me the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out and in that same chapter in verse 44 Jesus goes again to say no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. And then in verse 47 most assuredly I say to you he who believes in me has everlasting life. As you go back to chapter 10 just remember what Jesus said there you are a child of God and I am a child of God we are the people of God we are a part of the family of God not because we are religious not because we're so smart not because we have our religious act together ladies and gentlemen the only reason that you are a part of the family of God is that God almighty before the creation of the world chose you you never found Christ he found you you never chose Jesus Christ. I didn't choose Jesus Christ. He chose me. God always takes the initiative. And that's the part of belonging to God's people. is The fact that God has indeed chosen us as His people. But then, in contrast, Jesus is excluding the religious leaders. The very ones that are looking at all the other Jewish people, all of their countrymen and saying, you might make it, you might not. There's so many laws, if you don't keep all of them, well, tough. But we, we're in. I mean, just look at our robes. And look at all the incense we burn. And look at the rituals we do. And look how righteous we are. All oh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as much as says, there's no doubt, we are in tight. With God, if anybody goes to heaven, it'll be one of us blessed Pharisees and Sadducees. However, go back to chapter 8, because Jesus has a way of bursting people's bubbles. In chapter 8, verse 39, this is that uh, interchange that's going on between Jesus and the, and the religious leaders, because boy, oh boy, they hated him. Man, if they ever hated anybody, they hated Jesus because he was upsetting their religious apple cart and he was beginning to cause doubt in some of the people's minds. In verse 39, they answered and said to Jesus, Abraham, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this so you see Jesus is saying you say you're Abraham's children I don't think so but he didn't stop there drop down chapter 8 verse 44 it just gets more interesting Jesus in essence says you want to know who your daddy is you want to to know what your pedigree is Listen, listen to what he says in verse 44 this is right out of the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ he looks into the eyes of that self-righteous pious group and he says you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources he, for he is a liar and the father of it oh my goodness Don't beat around the bush, Jesus. I mean, my goodness. Here they are claiming to be children of Abraham. And you just right off the bat says, no, 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 no. You read your birth certificate wrong. Spiritually, you're sons of the devil. Look at verse 47 in chapter 8. Jesus says, and he, he who is of God, hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear. What? What? Because you are not of God. Those who thought and presumed that they were indeed God's chosen. Jesus says, you're you're not chosen. You're excluded. If ever there was a crowd that Jesus told right off the bat and judged them even on this side of eternity, you'll never see heaven. It was that group right there. Look at the contrast. To, to the people of God, those who hear His voice, those who know the Lord and are called by God and chosen and saved, we have comfort knowing that we belong. Not only that, we have the honor of being a part of, of the people of God. But we have the pleasure of knowing the Lord and being known by Him. I take you back to chapter 10. And there in verse 3 again, just remind you, Jesus says to, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name. What a wonderful reality that is. And again in verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. Do you know the voice of the Lord? Can you hear Him when He speaks to your heart? Do you understand His voice among all the voices that you hear? And are you able to respond? Oh, listen, not only does the Lord know us, He knows us personally and He knows us intimately. I'm so glad that we're just not generic believers in God's eyes. We're just not among the crowd. You know, one of the blessings of having a a smaller congregation is the privilege of being able to know my members personally. I love that. I love to even look at the children and and be able to know them and and, and know things about them. And and all the way to our seniors. And I think about these pastors that have congregations of 5 and 6 and 8 and 10 and 12,000. And I'm wondering, how in the world? Can you shepherd people you don't even personally know? But anyway, that's another thing. And y'all can remind me when we're knocking out the walls because the crowd's so big. But But the pleasure of just knowing that God knows you. He knows. Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know their names. And as I said, on the farm, oftentimes we would name our livestock. I'm Milk Star and my brother Milk Bessie. My dad discouraged us from naming and getting close with the pigs because they were being up on the table one day. (laughs) But you know, we just, you know, Jesus said, I know my sheep. I'm not trying to be light with that idea, but I love the idea. The fact that, you you know, when you think about somebody, somebody knowing you and knowing your name, especially if it's somebody important. You know, just imagine if... If, you know, a, a congressman saw you out there at the mall and says, you know, hey, Mark Andrews, <laughs> thank you for voting for me, buddy. You're a little bit short on that contribution, but that's okay. No, <laughs> I mean, we like the idea, but, but just to know that people know your name. You know, Jeremiah, the prophet said in chapter one, verse five, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before God says, I even formed you in the womb. He says, I knew you. I knew your name. I knew your characteristics. I knew your personality. I knew the gifts that I would give you and the talents you would have. I knew the purpose. Listen, you are who you are because God knew you, created you, formed, and shaped and found. Fa- you are somebody. He knows your name all the way from the beginning to the very end. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out His name from the book of life, but will... Listen to this. This is the Lord talking about those of us who are followers. He says, And I will confess your name before my Father and before the angels. One day, there in the celestial throne room of God with all the Shekinah glory and the power and the dominion and all the heavenly hosts. Just imagine God, the Father high and lifted up in all of His exaltation and the Son holds me by the hand and says, hey Father, this is old Charlie. He he says, oh, that's the one. (laughs) This is Charlie Martin, yeah. And he said, look, this is Charlie Martin, angels. He's, he's not going to say oh this is another one of those members of what's his name from over at uh, North Carolina I can't remember the church or, but anyway he's one of, uh-uh, no such thing oh the blessing the comfort of belonging but let's move along because we need to talk about the contentment of following what a joy it is to follow the Lord you know all the way back in the gospel of Matthew when Jesus was calling those early disciples he walked up to the fishermen and what did he say then here they were, their nets in their hands, their boats up in the background. And he simply said, follow me. Follow me. And by faith, they dropped their nets and they followed the Lord. Oh, it wasn't an easy road, but I guarantee you they never had regrets. Jesus went on to say, as we talked about in, in Luke 9, 23, If any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. And what? Follow me. This is a wonderful part of the relationship. The people of God gladly hear Him. When the Lord says, come, we don't make up excuses. We don't look for reasons to to try to get out of it. i go back to John's Gospel, chapter 6 with you. Chapter 6, verse 66. What a pivotal time in the life in the ministry of Jesus Christ when he's teaching some very hard things to the people. Multitudes of so-called disciples are following him. Are following him. They love the miracles, the feedings, the healings, the demon being cast out. Oh, they love it all. They love the, the drama. But then Jesus is in essence saying, if you are going to truly follow me, you're going to have to consume me. He even talks about his body being the, like bread and his blood like, like, you know, wine. Jesus says, if you are going to be one of mine, you're going to have to consume me. You're going to have to make me your all and all. Wow. Look at verse 66, chapter 6 of John's gospel. From that, that time, not a few, not a handful. But remember, a multitude. He's talking to a multitude. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Oh, there are a lot of people that hear the message of the gospel, our so-called gospel, this easy believism. They have an emotional moment in church or out of camp or something. It's oh yes, I want to I want to follow Jesus, yes. But the minute they find out the rigors that come with the Christian life and the demands of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the authenticity of what a Christian truly looks like, they're like the multitude. You can't find them. They don't hear his voice. They don't follow him. But look at the contrast. How many is left? How many is left? (laughs) Verse verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Wow. That's pretty bad, isn't it? We know something about drastic dropping numbers around here, don't we? Well, imagine going from a multitude down to 12. Why didn't Jesus say, I quit? What's the use? 12 men left? There goes my ministry. There goes the budget. But Jesus knew exactly who was going to stay because he knew his sheep. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Oh, I love... We talk about Peter being impetuous and sometimes impulsive and saying things that maybe he regretted. But I promise you, he never regretted saying what he said right here. Here's Jesus looking at the lone twelve standing there in the multitude walking away in the distance. And he says to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Is that your answer when the chips are down, when everybody else is abandoning the cause of Christ and, th- and being a Christian is no longer popular? Is that your answer? Are you going to look into the eyes of the Lord and say, "Hey, even though everybody's turning against me and nobody likes me anymore and I don't ever get invited to social engagements and it's hard to establish a relationship at work anymore because I'm a follower of Christ. Are you going to be able to say, Lord, Where can I go? Where can I go? You're my life. If I walk away from you, I'm walking away from my very life, my purpose, my meaning. Nothing else matters. And Peter goes on to say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? Money? You have popularity? (laughs) Oh, no. Peter understood, Peter understood, where will we go? You're the one who has the words of eternal life. And the people of God gladly hear. Remember what we saw there in John, in chapter 8, verse 47? He who is of God hears God's word you take the word of God out there amongst the secular crowd and you start telling them about the things of God and the, the standards of righteousness and the expectations of God and what it means to be a follower of Christ oh they'll reject that they'll say "Oh, that stuff's not true that's all ancient writings it's all by man oh get that out of here not the people of God not the people of God because you have you are programmed spiritually so that any your heart is hungry You're Your soul is hungry for the Word. God's people are content in following the Lord because they are gladly hearing the Word of God. They recognize His Word as truth. They will willfully obey His Word because they love and trust Him. I promise you, dear friend, anything that God calls you to do in life from his word, you can trust it because nobody loves you like him. The people of God gladly, gladly not only hear him, but they gladly follow him. As Jesus indicated there, John chapter 10, verse 3 and 5. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And the implication is that they are, in, are going to follow him. Verse 4 And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Do you notice? We never led pigs or chickens. You walk off, they just go, they, that's all right, you just walk off. If you're going to get a pig from one point to another, you had to drive that rascal or chickens. But cows, you can lead. If they loved you, trusted you, needed your feet, horses, you know, you could lead. Sheep, follow. And, and Jesus is leading, and the sheep follow. He says, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They trust him. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not just blindly following the Lord, though we follow by faith, not by sight. We follow him knowing that he is leading us to that which is absolutely beneficial for us. There in chapter 10, in verse 10, look what the Lord says about himself. He says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. And that's exactly what the Pharisees and that crowd were doing to God's people spiritually. But look what Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. And not only that, that they may have it more abundantly. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. The rewards of being a Christian and being a part of the family of God and being a part of the people of God don't all wait in heaven. If you're living without Christ Jesus as your Lord and you're not following Him daily in your life, let me tell you what you are doing. You're doing the same thing that the vast majority of the people who walk the face of the earth are doing. They are existing. That's all. Oh, they may be popular. They may be prosperous. They may be highly educated. They may be leaders. But they're just existing. They're wasting their lives. Every day they get up without Christ. And every night that they go to bed without Christ, they have wasted another day. And the shameful thing of it, and the horrible thing of it is, it's not so much what they lose in this life, it's what they lose for eternity. Oh, listen, Jesus said, I didn't just come that you would have life. I didn't just come so you could exist. He said, listen, I came to infuse into you a divine call, a purpose that rises above the, 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 the clamor and the sin and, and, the, and the decadence of this world. He, Listen, you're in this world as ambassadors of Christ. You have a glorious high calling. Don't just exist. Don't just go to work. Just Don't just make money. Just, don't just buy things. Don't just earn degrees. Just don't get titles. That's just existing, ladies and gentlemen. Put your eyes on Jesus Christ and follow him and let him make your life count. That doesn't mean you have to be a pastor, God help you, or be a missionary or be some, you know, Christian educator even though God calls people, and I thank God that He calls people to those professions. But listen, God needs His people out there in the world. Change in the world, as the light of the world. But He also leads His people into the glory of eternal life. Isn't that what Jesus said there in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 28? And I gave, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. You know, there Jesus gives a principle. He said, not only have I come as a good shepherd, you follow me, you become a part of my people, you become a sincere follower of Jesus Christ, and the Lord says, I will make your life rich, I will make your life count, I will make your life have a purpose, so that when you breathe your last breath on this life, you can look back and you say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I didn't make a lot of money. I was never popular or prominent. I didn't have a great title in a big corporation. But praise God, the Lord used me to touch the lives of people, to influence people towards the gospel, to the kingdom of God. I was able to encourage other Christians. I was able to support the church and encourage the kingdom work of God. Hallelujah. Who wants to face Jesus Christ on that day of judgment and have nothing to show for your life here on earth? Praise God for the privilege of not just existing, but to live fruitfully for the kingdom of God. But then Jesus says, the icing on the cake is I give you eternal life. And there it's a principle. It's so interesting because you jump one chapter over and suddenly the principle becomes practiced. In chapter 11, Jesus says, Gets word, not that it's news that his dear friend Lazarus has died so he goes on, takes his time to Bethany and there he's comforting Mary and Martha now the principle that he just told, I give my sheep eternal life he's putting it into practice because here as he comforts Martha and Mary Jesus says in verse 23 of chapter 11 your brother will rise again and Martha says to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurre- resurrection at the, at the last day. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I, I'm inserting that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait wait, a minute. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. Martha, you, you don't get I am. You're looking at You're talking to the resurrection. And he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. I used that exact text in a celebration of life service yesterday for a dear saint of the Lord who's now in the presence of the Lord to tell her family, listen, yes, her body is lifeless and committed to the earth, but her soul lives because Jesus says those who believe in Him, though they die, they will live forever. Listen, one of the wonderful benefits of following Christ is that He gives us abundant life but he gives us eternal life and let's move on i want to talk about finally one of the great blessings is the confidence of perseverance the lord pronounces his redemptive goal for his people and i'll take you back to chapter 6 very briefly in verse 37 just want to let you hear what the lord said <clears throat> chapter 6 verse 37 all that the father gives me come to me And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So Jesus gives a promise there. He'll never throw you out once you're in. (laughs) That's good to know. Nowadays, boy, you join clubs and organizations, and if you don't like it, hey, try try getting one of those automobile uh, motor club deals, right? And drive junkers like me. After about the third call, they send you a polite letter and say, Oh, Mr. Martin. We've appreciated your business over the year, but frankly, you're costing us too much money. <laughs> all these roadside toes and jumps and all that stuff, we can't afford you anymore. So goodbye and good riddance <laughs> Something like that. Listen, you will never get a letter like that from the Lord. He'll never cast you out once you are in. He says, by no means you will be cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all who he has given me, I should lose what? Nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last days. Jesus says, "We are His sheep. We are part of His family, and we will always be secure in our relationship with Him." And you know, the neat thing is, as you look in chapter ten, and I want to move along in chapter ten. Jesus has given this promise of, of, of the redemptive uh, program of God, the plan of God. He's He's saying, God has a plan. It's to redeem lost sinners. And in chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to Jewish leaders. He's talking in the context of Jewish people. God has a plan. And, and, and in Ezekiel 34, God says, I will be the shepherd of my people. I will retrieve them. Historically, you could say that was when God brought Israel out of captivity back to the promised land. But that doesn't totally fulfill the relationship that Ezekiel is prophesying there. God is saying, "Oh no, no, no. I have a plan. And I will redeem my people, the descendants of Abraham. They will be in eternity in my kingdom. And Jesus is saying that God's plan does involve the Jews. And ladies and gentlemen, in the millennial kingdom of God, they will be there. Descendants of of, of Abraham, and they will be born again, blood-washed, believers, Jesus Christ, though descendants. So God's redemptive plan, His goal is to redeem the Jews. But hallelujah, one of the greatest verses in chapter 10, we ought to hang on to it unless you just happen to have Jewish blood running through your veins. Chapter 10, verse 16. Look what he says. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that they will hear my voice, and there be one flock and one shepherd. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about the Jews, ladies and gentlemen, in that culture, in that uh, social setting. If you're not talking about the Jews, who are you talking about? Gentiles, Gentiles. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you're a Gentile, don't hang your head and be ashamed because you're you're in good company. All of us are, as far as I know. Wendy's the only one with a Jewish name, Godowitz, but that's all right. She's still one of us. (laughs) God's redemptive plan was certainly to redeem the, the people, the Jewish people, and they will be, just like you and I are by faith in Jesus Christ. But he says it's not exclusively Jewish. Because God's redemptive plan is opened up to those who are Gentiles, who also believe, and that's what he's saying. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. First to who? The Jews. And then to the Gentiles. But let me move on, because I know that Paul said, he describes us in Galatians chapter 3 as being spiritual descendants of Abraham. That's how you're a child of Abraham. It's not by your blood. It's by your heart. Because he's practiced the faith of Abraham. Finally, our Lord promises the security of our salvation. If you look there in chapter 10 again, in verse 28. I just read a portion of this. I didn't want to read it all because I want to say the best for last. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, talking about his sheep, his people. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. How long is never? Never. you will never die. You never cease to exist. were even interpreted and died against the backdrop of Romans 6.23. You will never be excluded from the presence of God. Never. They will never perish. But listen, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father... Who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the strongest biblical affirmations of the eternal security of the believer that you will find. Jesus says, once the Father puts you in my hand, once you are saved, you are secured. And nobody, not even yourself, And I know there are all kinds of people that try to create exceptions for that, but there are no exceptions. When Jesus says no one in the Greek, it means nardy, narder, not a one. Those weren't Greek words. Those are utterances. Dr. John MacArthur, in his gospel commentary on John, said, Jesus plainly taught that the security of the believer in salvation does not depend on human effort, but is grounded in the gracious, sovereign election, promise, and power of God. Amen? It doesn't... Listen, your security, your salvation is not dependent upon how good of a Christian you're going to continue to be or how righteous you're going to continue to be. Though you should be a good Christian, you should strive to be righteous. It's not going to be based on your church attendance or how many mission trips you go on or how many dollars you give, though you, you should go on missions when have the opportunity. You'll never catch up with Wendy. She's got more than anybody. But, but, you know, it's not that. It's not that. It's the fact that God has chosen you. He has wooed you. He has called you. He has saved you. Listen, it was His Son. It was His blood that was shed on the cross for you and me. And he was the one that was buried in that tomb. He was the one that was raised on the third day. He is the one who is ascended into heaven and intercedes on your behalf and my behalf every day. Your salvation, the security thereof, is not dependent upon you and me. It solely rests in the hand of God and the Apostle Paul and that wonderful Discourse in chapter 8 of Romans says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in the good shepherd Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah! Oh, listen, following Christ is a challenge, as I pointed out, and what real discipleship is. Yes, you deny yourself. You take up your cross daily. You follow the Lord. Yes, indeed, there's no mistaking that being a part of the family of God is is, is an earthly existence of struggle and temptations and trials and sometimes rejection and, yes, even persecution. But praise the, the Lord. That's not the end of the story because God's redemptive plan is to save His children, to secure His children, and to bring His children home one day. The shepherd is coming. Amen? He's calling even now. And the people of God, the sheep, hear His voice. And we will be gathered into the fold one day and not even the devil devil, or any of the enemies of the gospel or those proponents of evil in this world or nothing, no sickness, no kind of power, not even the demons, no no kind of principality, nothing, no circumstance shall keep me from my Lord when he calls me home. Amen. Listen, we have a wonderful, wonderful hope that is in Christ. I remember an old Southern Gospel song and I won't sing it because my wife is in here. two things she doesn't particularly care for, Southern Gospel and me singing. But I I, I can can tell you the times that this song was sung in that little country church and the assurance that it gave you and the reassurance it gave, just the chorus of it. And the lyrics said, Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. You see, because there's people around us that don't know the Lord and somehow they're prospering. We see people out there that are using the name of the Lord and they're living like the devil and somehow they got things you can't afford and they look like they're living a life of ease. Oh, listen, sometimes a Christian will suffer terrible things in their life or tragedies. You know, listen, we're normal, we're natural. We're, 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 we are human. We ask why. It's not a sin to ask why. It's, a, it's not a sin not to understand why true God loving believers are being persecuted. Listen, that's the only natural. And this writer of that song says, Father along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all. By and by. Oh, hallelujah. Nothing to prime a preacher's pump than to preach a funeral for a good Christian. Cause it gets me homesick for heaven. And all through my time with the graveside service and the celebration service, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about, man, it's going to be great. I'm not looking forward to death, and there's nothing about that. that you know, I don't want to be more, but I'm going to tell you something. When I think about what it means to me when the Good Shepherd, who has called me out of the world, and he has secured me in salvation, and he continues to live through me the abundant life, And when this life's journey is over to hear His voice and in essence saying, Charlie, it's time to come on home. Come on home. And He's going to deliver me every step of the way right into the very presence of the Lord where we will be the people of God gathered around the throne of God serving Him and giving Him glory all throughout eternity. Oh, it's a glorious thing to be a part of the family of God. To be part of the sheep of God. Enjoy the blessings. Oh, go through the rigors of discipleship. Suffer if necessary. But understand it's just for a while. The shepherd's coming to get his people. He's coming to gather his sheep. And we'll be safely in the fold one day.